Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. So it is actually a great business because you're, you're making 97 point something percent per sale. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn why you should launch a product if you already have a service-based business, the economics of running a digital product business, and the pros and cons of selling digital products versus physical products. Today, I'm joined by Eric Miller from UX Kits. UX Kits sells beautiful assets for creative professionals and was started in Brooklyn, New York. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so tell us a bit more about UX Kits and what, what exactly are these assets that, that you're creating and selling? Sure. UX Kits are digital downloads, mostly for designers and developers, whether that be web designers or interactive or app developers. And they are available in, in three different formats for Adobe Illustrator, uh, OmniGraffle, and Sketch. Uh, we also sell one physical product for designers and developers as well. So we're shipping digital and physical products right now. Got it. But mostly, most of your business on UX kits, at least, is pretty much like digital downloads. Yeah, although the physical product is is pretty popular and we're working on more because it's a good way to really diversify and, and have some different products from some of the other shops that, that sell digital. So we're trying to do a lot of both, actually. Mm, makes sense. So how did you get into this business? What was the, the, uh, the uh, what were you doing prior to, to launching UX kits? So we've had our own design studio since 2008 and, and freelancing for another 10 years before that. And we would often have to create documents for clients uh, to help illustrate a, a website or an app or the flow of a product. And when we decided it would be a good time to to split off and have a product side of our business. It was just a natural approach to turn some of those documents into products that we could sell. And uh, so a lot of it was things we were already using that that needed some tweaks to make them, you know, kind of universal for sale. But that's how we kind of naturally went from client work to our own products. Yeah, I see there's a lot where where uh, you know subject matter experts, uh, professionals in in a particular space, particular skill set, they're selling a service. They're selling essentially their their expertise and their time for for dollars. And then there's this then transition into branching out into products. What was the the reason why you guys decided to add this additional, uh, I guess, revenue stream into your business uh, by creating a product? It was actually an idea that a, a friend of mine. Uh, suggested he runs a site called Graffletopia, which also sells tons of stencils and templates for OmniGraffle, which is a very popular tool for, for web designers. And he wanted me to design a, a stencil to also sell on his site. Uh, we had always wanted to do some type of product just kind of for the logical reason of having two revenue streams, the, the client work and the product. Because as any freelancer will tell you that you know, your client work can go up and down and we wanted something more consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did this product uh, with him and then didn't know how big it would be. We thought it would just be a nice little, little you know, additional income per month. And it kind of took off when we initially started selling it. Uh, so it was a, a combination of 
always wanting to do some type of product ourselves to have those two revenue streams and someone that we know just, you know, giving us an idea uh, of something that he wanted to also sell on his site. And when it took off, we really turned it into a separate brand and, you know, started creating other products. Uh, but I often thank him for kind of pushing me to that because uh, we didn't really previously, you know, have a, a specific idea of what to sell. Uh, and then it just became kind of obvious after the fact of, oh, yeah, we already create these types of documents for clients. Let's let's turn that into a separate business. Mm, makes sense. So you were just doing this and selling it on a different side. You saw it take off. And what was the next step? Did you immediately decide to build the, essentially the storefront to sell other uh, documents, other assets? Or what was the very next step once you realized that there was something something here? Uh, yeah, so we pretty quickly turned it into our own storefront. Uh, I am always thankful to and still sell a lot of products on some other storefronts because there's some great platforms out there. Uh, Creative Market is another one. Uh, but something we always wanted to do because we're in design and branding ourselves was make, you know, our own platform for selling them and our own brand behind it. So pretty soon after, maybe, I don't remember if it was a few weeks or six weeks in, uh, we started searching for domain names and, and found uxkits.com, which frankly for its, for, for a domain name, it was amazing to find that available. Yeah. Uh, and then started, you know, branding it with its own logo and everything and building our own site out. Uh, so we could, you know, sell it on our own and, and have that control. But we do also have, have some good partners that we sell with still also. Yeah, this is common, very common in the physical product space to Amazon being the, the giant platform that a lot of people sell on. And right. you mentioned creative market is the, I'm not saying equivalent, but it's a platform that you sell on that people go to search and you're one of the vendors on there. And one of the, the reasons that I hear a lot for people making this transition from selling on these marketplaces to opening up their own site is that control that, that, that you're talking about. Now, when you are selling, did you start off selling on the marketplaces first? before starting your own site? What was it at the same time or did the marketplaces come after? It was about the same time, but my sales were pretty low on my own site because I didn't have, you know, really a, an audience yet except for people in my design community. So initially, you know, the, the larger sales were on those two platforms. It was actually the same year that Creative Market launched, I believe, and we were the number two product for their first year, uh, which is when we really th thought, you know, this could be something bigger. Uh, so, you know, one of our goals was to kind of bring some of those sales on our own site higher up and in line with some of the, the other shops. You know, like you said, people often have an Etsy shop, but then they want to build out their own platform or, or things like that. Uh, and they might still continue to sell on Etsy, right? So it is kind of the digital equivalent to that. Right. Now, when you are on a, mar on a marketplace, a digital marketplace, what's, uh, what are some ways that you're able to become that number two in, in your case? Like how do you actively promote and market yourself when it's not, you know, not your own platform? Sure. Uh, well, at the time when we launched our first product, which was a, a website flowchart kit for designers, uh, there was really nothing else like it on Creative Market. Uh, Creative Market has a lot of you know, fonts and icon sets and templates for, for finished products. And at the time, and I think they told me this themselves, it was the only flowchart product on the whole marketplace. So it was included in one of their newsletters. They have a new product newsletter. And whenever we launch a product, we 
frankly, go ask them if it can be included in the newsletter, uh, which is a good advice to any entrepreneur. You're not going to get something unless you ask for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, an extra email, hey, will you feature this? Uh, not always going to get a yes, but you often will. Uh, and just being in that newsletter, you know, got a, a big push initially. Uh, and, you know, newsletters are a great way to reach people, and especially because they had, again, a larger audience than we did. Uh, that was a big push. And uh, when you're selling well in some of those marketplaces, you become featured, uh, you know, or you're in your top selling products or, again, asked to be featured. Uh, I'm going to repeat it only once is, you know, ask for something. Because uh, that's, that's one of the simplest ways to get something. And some people aren't that aggressive in, you know, just going out and sending that extra email, you know, will you feature my product or check this out or something like that. Uh, that's one of the biggest ways we've marketed UX kits is just emailing people and say, you know, we have a good product. We think it fits well with your audience. Will you feature it? And that often turns into free marketing. Uh, so we would frankly mm -hmm. ask them to feature it, right? Yeah, and it, it sounds like it kicked off almost like a snowball effect where you got this push and all of a sudden you became feature, you became you know, higher ranked because of the sales and the popularity. And then I think it becomes much easier then to ask for, for more for more because you've, you have a, a kind of a track record of success already. So definitely uh, don't uh, discount that those, those initial asks early on. Um, yeah. Now, are there ways that you found to, I think, you know, one of the other keys to one of the reasons why entrepreneurs want to, to move on to owning their own site, owning their own platform is just being able to have access to those customers, whether that be through email lists, being able to collect data for, for remarketing later. Just having customers come to your site is definitely super valuable. Have you found ways to encourage that, the, the, the traffic and the customers that you've Get, you've gotten you've got from the the platforms to then drive them to your own your own site so I would say uh, almost ethically I choose not to try to in a way take the customers from or at least intentionally take them from another platform mm -hmm. over to mine it's just been the natural way of building up a brand and putting a lot of time into the design of our own site and driving customers through social and through our own newsletter and through promotions, anything we do, you know, is going to drive people to our site. Uh, and it's also great that some of these other platforms have their own customer base. And we're very, we're very, you know, kind of cautious about not trying to take a customer from one, at least, you know, intentionally or aggressively, because uh, they helped us build in the beginning. It's more been about naturally kind of organically growing our own customer base because if we do a podcast we point to uxkits.com if we do you know uh, a partnership with a for a we partner up with a lot of meetups uh, it obviously points them to uxkits so it's just kind of natural uh, rather than necessarily you know pointing customers from other platforms yeah, I think you touched on it early on about how you, if you have a, a brand that you built out, you have a recognizable name, just naturally people are going to seek you out rather than just discover you, you know, haphazardly on, on a platform. Now, this transition though from, 
having a service into a product, I think even if someone isn't working for themselves, they don't have a you know design studio in your case, let's say they're just working a day job and they're transitioning into creating a product on the side to have this kind of secondary income, it's uh, it's time consuming, right? You take It takes up time from what you were doing before. Now you had to work on building something from scratch. What was that transition like for you from, from having a, a service that was already running, a business that was already running, to now having to essentially build another business? Sure. Yeah, it's incredibly time consuming. And while we are in the beginning, we were only selling digital products. So we didn't have to deal with the fulfillment and things like that right off the bat. Uh, All of a sudden we had customer service and I need an invoice, you know, and uh, it grows pretty quickly. You know, once you are talking thousands of customers, you're talking, uh, you know, dozens of emails, you know, a week, even just asking for things. And then that that grows. So even a, a, even selling digital products, while there's a little less overhead in time and cost, uh, you are running a business. So it's not, it's, you know, it's a little bit more than a hobby. Uh, so it was an interesting transition realizing the time that would take to, uh, you know, put into UX kits on the side. And actually my, my wife works with me, uh, and she has, she used to do various work for clients and now, Almost all of her job is running UX kits. So we could not do it without her or another employee. Uh, in this case, I'm glad it's her. Uh, but we basically have an employee who handles now fulfillment, customer service, you know, accounting, everything related to the shop. Uh, so it, it has, you know, required an additional employee basically, which in this case happened to be my wife. Uh, which that's her primary responsibility now. So that's, you know, you say, was it a transition? And we basically had to hire someone, right, mm-hmm. uh, to run the shop. Again, in, the, in this case, it's my wife, but uh, it, it does bring on a whole new set of, of responsibilities. Yeah, I think one thing that, that you do that you've done that is very wise that sometimes uh, entrepreneurs miss out on is that they're building a product that is uh, very related to the service that they're already offering. Talk to us about how much that, that helped, having a design studio already. I'm assuming already having customers from the design studio that, that knew about UX kits. Like, how, how, how did the two businesses kind of work together to build each other up? Sure. So aside from some of the, the products coming literally directly from it, uh, our first customers, meaning uxkits.com, not some of the marketplaces, were directly from our community. Uh, so we, you know, I've been in this business for almost 20 years now. So I know design firms, I know freelancers, I know developers. That was my following on Twitter and on Instagram. And that, that was the first people I was able to reach out to, uh, you know, and add to email lists and things like that. So that, in effect, became my initial customers. And fortunately, you know, some of those people, you know, would obviously retweet and help spread the word. Uh, so I didn't, you know, go from running a web design studio to designing kids t-shirts, right? With absolutely no following. There fortunately was that, that same community. And even now when I meet people, I can, you know, mention UX kits along the way because they really do go hand in hand. And even now I might think of a product as a result of working with a client. And that'll become a product of UX kits eventually. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about product development. How, how do you, other than you know those these opportunities where a client has uh, that that you that a client's uh, I guess uh, work necessitates you to create a product for it? How else do you come up with uh, what product to to create next? What documents to create next for UX kits? Sure. I mean, we have we have a long list of 
20 or 30 pro uh, products right now in the hopper, although we are generally releasing them fairly slowly. We don't have a huge product line. And it basically comes from thinking, what would I want in, in, my, in my field? So I know that's often from the client work as well. Uh, it's not, it's what would I want and what don't I see out there in the marketplace? So initially I said, I don't believe there were many flowchart kits like the one we created. It's now a pretty big product category. I know of probably at least 50 similar products in the category. Uh, we want to be unique. So it's, a, you know, again, it's two parts. It's what would I want? And then what don't I really see something like that, you know, that's out there already. And that was one of the big things in going to our one physical product. And we have two more in the works is, you know, a lot of people can, can create digital products. It's, it takes a good designer, but it doesn't take as much overhead as developing a physical product, right? There's just a little more that goes into that in terms of obviously printing and fulfillment and all of that. So one of the reasons we wanted to go into physical a bit more was just to do something that uh, wouldn't be done by that many other shops that were doing digital. Uh, it's just such a different space. And we found that people, the physical product, has really spoken to designers who want to hold something in their hand. Uh, it's also been the best product in terms of social media on, on platforms like Instagram, because uh, people are more likely to take a picture of a physical product on their desk than take a picture of their screen uh, and post it, which people do do. But the physical product, uh, while it might not be a leader in our sales or, or profits, it's been great just for social media and for events. It's something we can actually give away an event. Uh, you know, we were actually at one of the Shopify events. You know, we had a booth in New York a couple of years ago and we did, you know, we brought a couple hundred decks as a giveaway. So it's something physical you can give away that has your website address on it and your Twitter handle. Uh, so even if, if you are selling digital products, even if you don't want to sell a physical product, maybe just make something uh, like a sticker uh, that you can give away you know, at an event, or even if you are selling physical, you know, something like a sticker or a little notebook or a pen, you know, people love that swag, uh, but it also gives them something to take away that has your, your info on it. And that's kind of been the UX kits. It's called the website deck. It's a deck of cards. Uh, that's kind of been what it, what it does. It's almost like swag, even though we sell it. Yeah, I've heard time and time again from, from store owners that will tell me that one of their most one of the products that drives the most traffic to the site ends up not converting that much. It might not, might not bring a lot of sales, but it just brings so much attention to the site and then they convert on other things. So I, I think it's a great example of, of of that scenario where you have something that's intriguing, that's shareable, that's you know viral, that gets people to take pictures of it and that would drive tra drive the traffic to the, to the store. And even if they don't end up buying it, they're not going to be exposed to all your other products and they might eventually buy one of those other products as well. So I think... Uh, what you're saying is definitely key. Uh, now, do you need to, because it sounds like a lot of your ideas come from, again, things you need, things that you want. Do you then need to test or get, or do you, do you try to test or get feedback on the products before before launching them? Yeah, so, uh, a little bit. Uh, so, you know, I have my own little community of designers, uh, a couple of Slack channels. Uh, so I will run concepts by, by some other UX designers or web designers while I'm creating them just to get their feedback. In some cases, I've added a few elements uh, that I'm more of a designer than a coder. So I have a developer that I like to run things by and he'll say, you know, add this element because a, a real hardcore developer would love to be able to 
to show, you know, a database connection uh, that I might not have thought of. So I'll create an element to do that. Uh, so it's just good. You know, I don't know everything, obviously. So it's just to run it by some other people who are in the field, but maybe not exactly what what I do personally, just to get some ideas for kind of flushing out the product. Yeah, so I think you've spoken a few times now about the benefits of having a digital business, um, and it sounds like the ability to to iterate on the product is another another key thing where you're getting this feedback and you can make a change immediately with the physical product. There's a much longer process and a much more expensive process to go through to accomplish the same iteration. Uh, what, what, what are the, some cons though that, that you found now that you have a physical product? What are some cons that you found with a digital product versus a, a physical product? Hmm, that's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I will say a digital product, uh, Shop is a is a is a very great business if you can think of something digital to sell. Uh, before I I'll try to think of a con while I talk. Uh, but I know people sell you know patterns for for sewing things. People sell you know child's doll uh, you know clothing, but only just the pattern to make it. Uh, you know, there's tons of digital download products, and it's it's actually a great business. You have no no overhead except you know a minor processing fee on a sale. Uh, you know, you can't really, it's, it's pretty much an all profit business putting aside running the Shopify store. And if you have employees, uh, so it is actually a great business because you're, you're making 97 point something percent per sale, uh, in terms of profits, right? There's a different, there's a different time if, uh, which would be your, when you sell a physical product, the person gets it and you're pretty much done with it unless they're not happy with it and want to return it, there's no changing it. Uh, whether, you know, if they like the sneakers, they like the sneakers, right? They're going to wear them. Uh, with a digital product, there's a lot more opening for a different type of customer service suggestion. Like, can you add this element for me? Uh, this isn't working. You know, I can't open this file. So it's you get file issues and that type of thing, download issues versus you ship it out. And again, as long as they like it, it's over. So there's a little more ongoing support with a customer where you might, you know, they might upgrade their software and then the the product won't open anymore or something like that. So that that would be a con on, on digital. Yeah, I can see that because it is easier, you know, quote unquote, easier for you to make a change in the digital world. The customer also recognizes that and realizes that they can make more customizations when it comes to to a digital product. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was going to ask next is, what about things like piracy or any kind of legal protection? Is it is it harder, or do you face this kind of these kind of issues with uh, your digital products? I do. I've spoken to other uh, software developers about it who don't necessarily sell templates, but they sell software. Uh, it's something that's very hard to stop, especially if done overseas and is almost a cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are cases of it. And again, it's almost like a cost of doing business because, you know, to get into you know, suing someone or, or a legal battle or even trying to, the time and energy of cost of that uh, would be, you know, beyond what you're actually losing, right? Uh, so there may be a case where it's pretty blatant and, you know, you do need to stop it. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, for almost any type of digital file, whether it's music or software or templates, right, there's probably some site somewhere that has a free download of it. Uh, but 
you know, to even calculate if that's actually impacting your sales or not uh, would be very difficult. And for the most part, we've just taken a uh, an approach of, again, like cost of doing business because uh, it's, it's a hard thing to track also. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now that you have this experience launching a physical product, what did you feel like you had to to learn? What kind of skills did you feel like you had to learn to now sell sell and market a a physical product uh, that you didn't necessarily have to have when you're selling a digital product? Sure. I, I guess one thing first would be the product photography is different. Uh, you know, you can use screenshots of digital products, but for physical. You know, you really need that photography. And that's something I say to my own clients, Shopify clients as well. You know, no matter how great your your design is or your Shopify theme, uh, the number one, well, the number two things I would focus on is your content and your photography. Uh, you know, a giant photo of your product that does not look professional will be the customer's focus over maybe a beautiful website design, right? So... I always tell clients, and and the same thing goes for us, is great product photography is is number one, as well as the content that you write. So we had to, and we do it in-house, so just playing around with with different, you know, different lighting and different, you know, natural light and different settings for the product, and we're still working on that. Uh, So that that was a big thing. And then just learning to navigate shipping and especially overseas shipping costs is very tricky and and something that comes up a lot that's an issue for us is uh you know customs fees and people not choosing not to pay the customs fee and the product coming back and how to handle that or damaged products or lost products so we're still learning that every day is you know you don't lose a product or get a damaged product if, it, if it's digital uh in the physical there's a you know we just got a product back the other day that looked like it was almost cut in half right or it had been run over by a truck Right. So it's just uh, there's just a whole new world to deal with. Uh, it's almost the reason we want to come out with more physical products, because if we're going to learn all this and figure this all out, we should be selling more than one physical mm-hmm. product, you know, almost like so it's worth it. All this knowledge and, and shipping and, and all that, knowing all that, uh, we should be selling more than one physical product to make that worthwhile. Uh, but that's something that that is, you know, interesting to navigate is just is international shipping. And again, with with customs fees, because we often have to tell customers, we don't know how long a product will be in customs and we don't know what the tariff fee will be. And that's a difficult thing to to relay to a customer. So it's something we do, you know, very politely and, you know, with with apologies and with explanations. So, you know, you know, communicating to your customers about that is very important and to do it well. So that's a a piece of advice for, for other people running running a business where they're shipping internationally, you know, don't just write back, sorry, there's customs fees, you know, really explain why, explain that you don't always have control over those fees and you don't know how long a product might sit in customs, you know, they could sit in customs for a couple of months sometimes, uh, you know, and do what you can to just keep a, a customer updated and explain that to them. Yeah, I think I think one of the benefits of being a small business owner, being the 
the actual you know founder that's talking to the customers is that you have that that kind of doorway, that kind of channel of communication where you can be frank and, and explain to them why things are a certain way. I wouldn't expect that from if I bought from a much larger, you know, large company essentially. So I think uh, what you're getting at is that you should be you know very clear in the communication with your customers, and they are you know very open to hearing that. Again, especially if you're speaking to them as a founder, as the, the person in charge over there. Now, when what you mentioned product photography. What, what other changes have you found? What, what changes to your marketing have you uh, added when you are marketing a physical versus a digital product? Sure. I mean, something we, we added along the, around the same time we, we added the, the physical product was uh, coupons for sharing on social. So while that does apply to digital products also, uh, once we saw how the physical product it was really being shared, particularly on Instagram, uh, we added a share option actually to our main navigation. We actually changed our main navigation around the same time, which since I'm a designer, I consider that a big deal to change something in the main navigation. Uh, so we have a share option, which the share page just tells, uh, you know, the three steps to posting on social media and mentioning us, and then you get a 20% off code good for any digital product. Uh, so, you know, people have been taking advantage of that and it just is another way to encourage people sharing on, on social. And we have that in our Instagram bio too, the short bio at the top of our profile, uh, that if people share on Instagram, they get a 20% off coupon. Mm-hmm. And you saw like a bump in, in, in traffic just from doing that. Yeah, we got a little bump and it hasn't been the, the usage of it hasn't been enormous enough yet that we've had to automate the process of generating those coupons. So it's still been, you know, kind of grassroots. That's us seeing the post or, or a customer, uh, you know, emailing us and then we send them a coupon, uh, but we might automate it eventually. And that's something I would recommend to other, other Shopify store owners. You know, when you first try something out uh, and you're not sure how big it's going to be, you don't need to necessarily go, have your developer build out a whole system for doing it or you know, find some complicated way to, to automate it, you know, just test it out. Uh, you know, post that there's a coupon for sharing on social media and have people email you when they do it, right? And then yeah. if you see it's becoming too much overhead, you can automate it. And that almost goes for anything, right? That goes for fulfillment too. If you can handle fulfillment in your garage in the beginning, do that. And when it becomes too much for you, you know, look into a fulfillment shop, uh, you know, and that goes for almost anything. And I say that to, again, to my design clients on, on, on any type of website or app, you know, do something almost the low cost, low fi way until you prove a concept. And then when it's too much work, figure out the next step. Yeah, there's almost like an, an aversion to doing things that, that don't scale. There's always this race to uh, find a system right away. And like you're saying, get your developer to create something to automate a process. But not only does is it a much cheaper and safer route the way that you suggest by just doing it in a lo-fi manual way at first, it also really gets you to learn the process so enough that you can be much more knowledgeable when you do design, when you 
do get a developer to to create the automation because you you know where the pitfalls are, you know what what might be missing, what what might what needs to be added because you've gone through that process once or you know many many times that is. So yeah, definitely see see the value in doing something manually at first because sometimes you it takes even longer for you to get it all done in an automated way than it is uh, in, a, in a manual way, especially in the early days. No one uses it. You just spend a few thousand dollars on something and you realize it wasn't the right idea to. <laughs> right. Definitely costs. A lot less risky. Got it. Yeah. So in now, I think, you know, most listeners are going to be entrepreneurs or store owners that are selling physical products. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you give for a, for these kind of store owners that are selling physical products that are now, you know, intrigued by the, 97% profitability of selling a digital product. How did, how would they even begin to think, okay, I have this physical product. What, what steps would you recommend they take in terms of researching or thinking of brainstorming uh, a digital product to, to sell on top of their physical in- inventory? Yeah, that's interesting because it would be in the reverse order we went in, mm-hmm. but it, it, you know, it, uh, I would say you would want to be very clear if you were selling something that wasn't really in my space, like web design, uh, if you were selling clothing or books or something, you'd want a very clear distinction between those areas on your website or a very clear in checkout. Uh, so it's obvious that you're buying something physical versus digital. Uh, you know, you don't want to, if your store is doing well or you're just starting out, you don't want to all of a sudden complicate it. Uh, but if you did want to look into to digital products, I think it's just thinking about what is a logical step from what you sell now, you know, are you selling books and you could sell a digital version of that book and, you know, in what formats, uh, are you selling t-shirt designs and there's a way to sell a digital download of the design for a much lower price that people can use as a smartphone background. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know, literally off the cuff, but what are you doing already that can be turned into a, you know, a digital product, you know, maybe your t-shirt designs can be posters that could be printed digitally and sold or something like that. Uh, from a, you know, technical standpoint, we actually started with and have always used Shopify's digital downloads app. Uh, there are other apps out there, but we use the one Shopify makes and we found that to be, you know, a great app for, for doing it. You know, we've stuck with it now for, for four years. Uh, so, it's not an incredibly complex thing to add to the site. I think it's more the idea that matters. And again, not not complicating something that's working uh, would be another piece of advice. Yeah, I, th- I think the the key that, that you mentioned is that don't think of a brand new product, uh, offer something completely different than what you're already offering. Look at what's already selling or look at what's already successful that you're selling physically and then try to Determine or come up with a digital version of it. So rather, if you're selling T-shirts, don't go off and sell you know something UX kits digital products. Think of what what can you turn that's in your design of your T-shirts into something digital, like you're saying, like a wallpaper or something. Some just probably don't have a digital equivalent, uh, but maybe even like a coffee maker can sell a, a digital download, you know, guide to brewing. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. There's probably always some little idea there where you can sell something often for less money, but still there might be interesting ideas uh, on selling like one or two side digital products. 
Now, do, do you find, I'm not sure if you have these numbers, but do you find that the digital customers are more likely to buy a physical product or a physical uh, customer more likely to buy a digital product? Which one makes that, I guess, transition um, more likely? I don't really have those numbers. Uh, you know, there's no honorable report on that. What's your feel on it? Yeah, I, my gut would be that we have a lot of customers who already owned or would buy our digital product mm -hmm. uh, and then see the value in the physical because the physical product is actually kind of a mirror version of one of our digital products and it could almost be the first step. Uh, I think mm -hmm. people in the space are more likely to buy something as a digital download and then maybe, you know, see what else we have and, and think that's, that's an interesting addition. Uh, we do have people who buy them together too, uh, you know, as kind of as a set. Uh, and we have, uh, the, the, it's also been a product that people buy as gifts. We have a huge, huge bump around, you know, the holiday season. Uh, it's been on a lot of lists, you know, best gifts for designers and stuff like that. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's another side of it. And that's something I, again, I would recommend a lot of those lists just picked us up, but a lot of them we went and asked them. So let's say you sell, I don't know coffee again, right? And around the holidays, you want to promote the coffee. This is fairly straightforward advice, but Google, you know, best coffee gifts for stocking stuffers. See what blogs have done those types of articles past years. Email them in November and say, you know, are you doing your best coffee gifts this year? I don't know if coffee is the best example, but you know what I mean? Uh, uh, if so, please check out my product. Around November every year, we Google what other sites are doing, you know, their yearly blog post about holiday gifts for designers, and we, we show them our product. So that's another good idea is just see what other people are writing on a regular basis and share their product with them. And that can turn into, it's not really free marketing because it's your time, but, you know, often you're not paying a fee to be in that post. So it's essentially free marketing. Yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. The, the conversion on that, on getting on those uh, gift lists, gift ideas, is, is so incredibly high based on what I've seen from other other entrepreneurs. Now, when you sit down and approach these uh, these bloggers that are putting together these uh, gift lists, are there kind of criteria that you look at when you look at your catalog in terms of what you recommend? Is there a price point that you usually try to find that that these uh, gift that, that that do well in these gift lists or there's types of products that do well in these gift lists? Yeah, I mean for the most part it's our physical product for this, but we're looking for not necessarily the price point, but just what else is on the list and what of ours fits into that. Mm -hmm. You know, is it a logical addition that they would show that? There's some bloggers we don't email because the the things that are in their posts are, you know, completely unrelated. Uh, and it is your time to email all these posts and, you know, you can't always email, you know, 5,000 bloggers. So both for your time and theirs, it's just making sure it's a logical fit. Uh, you might also find, you know, they're really doing a low cost one. So what are your lower cost products? Uh, but for me, it's more about a logical fit. Right, that makes sense. Now, you you mentioned uh, in I think the pre-interview notes about how Pinterest was uh, helpful early on for you. Now, a lot of times people think about Pinterest, they think about fashion, like fashion is so big on Pinterest. But you've had success on Pinterest as well, and obviously you're not in the fashion space at all. What's your experience been like uh, on Pinterest? What, what 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 are you doing? What are you doing on Pinterest that's been so successful? Uh, so. 
I'll admit that I kind of fell into that. Uh, we expected, like, like you're saying, the Pinterest is more in the fashion and, you know, home design and stuff like that. And that we would be bigger on Twitter. You know, that's, that's, you know, typically more in the tech space. Uh, we do share everywhere. So that's, if I'm not giving specific Pinterest advice, it's my advice would be don't assume anything, share your product everywhere. Uh, we put it on some design networks. We put it on Twitter, on Instagram, on, you know, on Pinterest, everywhere we can think of. Put your product everywhere that you are allowed to put it. Uh, Pinterest just kind of took off because unlike other sites, it just has that quick repin option, right? Uh, to, to put something on Instagram and, and repost it, it's getting a little easier these days, but it's still a bit of a process. Uh, you can retweet something very easily, but it's not often with an image, and the image on Twitter is not always the focus of what people are doing. They're often reading the tweet. Uh, so we found that Pinterest was an interesting match because it's all image-based and we're designing products for designers. And there's that quick way to repin it. And we we looked on Pinterest that we hadn't looked in a while. And one of our earlier products had now had over 100,000 repins, which I'll admit was a shock to me. Uh, you know, normally we have things in the hundreds or sometimes thousands, but uh, it had reached 100,000 repins or other boards it was on. Uh, just because I think it's a combination for Pinterest of that visual and the, the quick ability to repin. So the, again, my advice is don't assume a particular network is your right network because I assumed incorrectly and just put it everywhere. Uh, we did, we did some Pinterest advertising. So we've tried paid ads to a degree on, on most networks. And we also found we got the most traffic from Pinterest. Uh, so that was a way to test it out. But in terms of what we do on a daily basis, isn't much different on Pinterest or other sites. If we post something in one place, we try to post it everywhere. Uh, so it's just, you know, kind of, you know, throw a broad net and, uh, and see what works and then maybe put a little more focus there. Mm, makes sense. Now, because uh, we're, you, ha- you are a designer, you are stores on Shopify, you mentioned you have Shopify clients. We'd love to hear a little more on design tips for Shopify store owners. What are some common mistakes that you see in other, uh, it doesn't have to be Shopify stores specifically, but on e-commerce sites uh, design-wise that you think that it would be something that you know, store owners should, should be fixing? Sure. So with Shopify, and we pretty much... We pretty much only use Shopify for e-commerce and we've been using it forever. Uh, so the themes are great, right? So it's, it's not often as much of a design focus as it is what I would call a user experience focus. Uh, if you download a beautiful theme and, and use it correctly, uh, what I would say is don't underestimate the importance of everything else. Uh, some, a mistake I see often is, is confusing or, or poorly selected items in the main navigation of, of the theme, which is up to the store owner, right? So is it clear how to get to the shop? Are you using the right words such as shop, right? Uh, are you putting the shop, you know, first and foremost in the navigation and not burying it later after about us and, and things like that? Uh, you know, when it comes to things like that, it has to be very straightforward. Uh, in terms of the labels you use for your navigation and how you structure it. So a lot of thought should go into that. Uh, the other thing I mentioned already was product photography. So you can sh- certainly download a theme and, you know, and build a store pretty quickly with Shopify, but make sure your 
photography is great. If you were going to invest in something, you know, outside of, you know, building out the theme, I would invest in product photography with a professional because that'll make all the difference. And then next I mentioned before was content. Uh, so if, if as a entrepreneur, writing isn't one of your strong points, identify that and get help with the writing. And unlike photography, that's often something you can get from a family member or a friend, right? You know, you don't, not everyone knows a professional product photographer, but usually you know somebody uh, who can help you edit your writing and make sure that that those, that marketing copy on your homepage and your product descriptions are very clear and not too long. So often when we work with a Shopify client, uh, if it's a lower budget, we won't do a custom theme for them. And our focus is just on all of these things, you know, how to organize the site so it's easy for people to shop, editing their content for them, making sure their products look good, uh, you know, social media advice and things like that. So it's, it's almost, even though you asked me about design, it's almost everything else, right? Uh, I mean, feel free to ask me specific design questions, but that's, that's what comes to mind first. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely helpful. Now, if for someone that, that just isn't aware of what's, you know, broken or isn't working on their site, any tips or any tools that they can use to test their UX, test their user experience? My, my biggest advice for testing user experience would be to do user testing, uh, which would either be, again, with family and friends, or if you're comfortable, some of your early customers. Uh, so sometimes, and that's a common thing in my field, is user testing. And it doesn't need to sound like a big, scary term. It just means watch some people use your website, right? So bring your T-shirt business website, uh, open it up at your mom's house, and watch your mom click through your site and see if she can figure out how to add something to your cart. Uh, bring it to some friends' houses. Try to do a diverse group of people who might be more tech-savvy and some not, right? Like try to get a nice cross-section of people. Uh, again, if you're willing to, to have your customers do that for you, you could create a little user testing group. Maybe, maybe give them a coupon code or a free product for doing it for you. And have them click through your site and fill out a survey. And you could use something like you know, Survey Monkey or Wufu to have them fill out a survey with questions like, was it easy to find a product? You know, were you confused by anything? You know, was it easy to add to the cart? Uh, you know, were you able to find the collection you wanted? Uh, you know, what was your vision of our business? You know, what do you think our mission is based on going to the site? Is that clear? Things like that. So it's not really a tool that you would just run the site through and get an answer. It's like a human experience where you would Ask people to look at your site. I mean, one of the greatest things to do, and you can't do this with customers always, is is look over someone's shoulder and watch them use your website. And when they start staring at the page and they don't know what to click on, you found somewhere that might need improvements. Mm. Got it. Now, you mentioned uh, digital downloads uh, as an app that you use. Any other tools or apps that you rely on to to help you run your your store or your your businesses? Yeah, we don't have a ton of apps installed, but we do use digital downloads. It kind of powers the whole site. Uh, we use Order Printer, just a nice, another simple app when people ask for an invoice. And we do use the, the Olark live chat app. And we're not often on the live chat, but we found we get a lot of inquiries from customers on a particular page when they have a question about one of our products. So they'll open the live chat and send us a message. And that way we know what page they were on. It's often, you know, directly related to that product. So we found that to be almost a great email tool 
versus a live chat tool because we don't really have the the manpower yet to always be on live chat. Uh, but it's been a great tool for people to quickly contact us versus our contacts up contact us page. So that's been a great tool. Uh, aside from Shopify apps, I do recommend any entrepreneur uses some type of project management software to manage their business. Uh, we use Flow, which is a uh, it's getflow.com is is the is the website just to keep track of to-dos and things like that. Uh, even as simple as you come up with a new product idea and you want to write it down somewhere, uh, for me, I'll forget it in 24 hours. So I just have an ideas list where I write down ideas. Or when customers want to improve on a product, I have a to-do list for that. Uh, if I want to set a deadline for releasing a product, I'll do that. If I find a bug, I have a bug list. So use some type of, of project management system, not just you know writing things down on Post-its. To help you manage your kind of entire business is very helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. So uxkits.com is the store. ericmillerdesign.com is the design studio. Where do you want to see your businesses go this time next year? So I would say I want to grow UX kits with, with a, a larger product line. That's, again, uh, probably a few more digital and a few more physical. And that allows me to be more selective sometimes in my client work, finding pro- uh, projects that are really are uh, the perfect fit, again, because you have that additional source of income you know, from UX kits. So it's really not one taking over the other. It's them working well together, uh, you know, kind of enabling each other to, to, to thrive. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time, Eric. Thank you. I appreciate it. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. When you're going in to pitch to someone, you're not going to beg for money. Um, it's a fair exchange. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.